It looks like the clock is about to strike midnight on this Cinderella story. It's uh, refreshing, yet uh, displeasing to the eye. Somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. In the dying seconds! Unbelievable! They wouldn't say die! That just shows that they didn't come to play. They really come to play here at the MCG tonight. Hello and welcome to another week of They Came to Play, the podcast where Danny McGinley and I trawl the globe for interesting sporting stories so we can share them with you outside of the footy season. And each week we bring into the show a guest, Tess Armstrong, in fact, is she ever coming back to this show, Danny McGinley? It's been a long time. Yeah, I think she's had five kids in her maternity leave. Uh, she's building another football. She's rebuilding the Richmond Football Club mm. from the ground up, from her womb up, just creating 18 more kids, <laughs> 22 more players. And uh, yeah, once she's done that, she'll be back. That is quite the project she's got ahead of her as we welcome uh, onto the show uh, author, documentary filmmaker, speechwriter. Former Hawthorne footballer Tony Wilson. <laughs> hello, mate. Limo. Hello, Danny. Hello, G'day. hello, Limo. And that that intro, I always get the Hawthorne footballer put in, and I feel as though anyone who actually played for Hawthorne <laughs> would object to it because I did only play under nineteens and reserves, and that qualification has to be made straight off. Well, there, there's a certain symmetry for us, Tony. I played under nineteens and reserves for West Adelaide in the SNFL, but. Whenever people refer to me as a West Adelaide footballer, I never correct them. Yeah. <laughs> I just say, yeah, yeah. I'm really yeah. desperate that uh, when people say he was involved in the Bulldogs Premiership with the, ba- you know, sure, as banner rider. <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, given a couple of generations, I reckon my great-great-grandchildren will, the story, I think, I think one of my grandparents played for the Bulldogs. There we go. And I'll be up in the afterlife just going, yep, that's right, play on. <laughs> you could argue, actually, that my overall net output for the Hawks was a negative because they had the opportunity at the end of 1991 to put players on the list who were on the under-19 list and Mm. so they chose five or six that they could kind of lock down as the under-19s dissolved and one of the players they could have chosen, 15-year-old, red hair, he really didn't get a kick in the under-19s, he was so young and Mm. I was 18-year-old, full age, ready to go. I thought you were talking about yourself, right? No, No, this is a... The 15-year-old kid, he... Justin Lepich, drafted three years later. Oh. Four-time All-Australian. <laughs> Hawthorne had. They cast their eye and they went, we want Wilson. And, we, well, <laughs> and they overlooked Lepich. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't uh, often agree with the Hawthorne Football Club. But that's, that, that was the right move, definitely. That was the right move. So what years, when, when did you play reserves at, at the Hawks? What year? Uh, 1992. So I actually had an in- incredibly short a little, and a little bit of an unlucky career. I was put on as a father, son, and an under-19 listed player. Because your dad, 91. Ray Wilson, was part of the 1971 Premiership side. So yeah, right? that's right. So he played 105 games for the Hawks and won a best and fairest in 66. Um, and I get father-sonned at the end of 1991. And then... at. At the start of 1992, I have my opening interview with Alan Joyce, Ooh. and he says to me... So, hang on, at that point, let me just get an outsider's... Uh, Alan Jeans is gone? He's gone at the end of 90. Yeah. Joyce right. has won a flag in 91, Yep, riding high, and yes. I go into the coach's office, and he barely looks up from his desk and says, Wilson, okay, uh, you've had stress fractures the last three years, you've averaged 11 games a year, just want to let you know if you get them again, we're going to get rid of you. 
Okay. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, thank you for your personal skills and warmth, Alan. Um, I will look forward to that. In round his defence, I don't know why you kept choosing to get injured. <laughs> <laughs> and then round five, I get diagnosed with stress fractures ah. again. Played five games of, in the resis. And then there's a mid-year draft. Yeah. So in that era, no, no minimum two-year contracts for draftees. No minimum wage, indeed. Only match payments, and mm. and I go, oh god, I've got stress fractures. He said he'd get rid of me. There's a t- chance to get rid of me in four weeks' time. Oh no! <laughs> and, and and got the bullet. So yeah. my time on the senior list actually might contend for the shortest career ever. I was <laughs> I was listed in November of 1991 and delisted in June of 1992. Did you get a footy card? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. Ah! <laughs> how many so how many reserves games did you play? I think Eight or something like that. Did you play any reserves games with Shane Crawford? Uh, I would have, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So he came that year. I can't. I can't remember, but he came and was put on the list the same time, end of ninety one. Yep. And what I do know is that Shane Crawford. You know, you, you try to get your, you, you're hoping they're seeing big things. You know, Dermot's getting a little bit older. Maybe they'll slot me onto a half forward flank. Peter Curran's gone up to. Brisbane Lions, um, yeah. Brisbane Bears. I might be a bit of a show. Uh, get the call. We want you to help out with Croft, our, our new young recruit. Yeah. He's struggling a bit with maths at the moment. You did really well in your VCE last year. Do you want to do, do a little bit of maths tutoring after training on Tuesdays? Oh, my God. So you're the official Hawks tutor. And even that, like, you know, you're saying you had this horrible football career, but, you know, Croft's not really known for his, his numeracy. So, uh, he's, so he stuffed that up too. Once, once, he, once he's working on the probability of horses winning, Croft just really came into his own. We just, we just, we just did probability. It's like the uh, – yeah. It's like drug dealers get good at maths all of a sudden when it involves converting grams to pounds and ounces to when you have to cross over. Well, like you, every Australian kid who loves sports is amazing at their six times table because, yeah, yeah. because of footy goals and cricket overs. And yeah, cricket as well. Absolutely. Exactly. So uh, Alan Joyce is a weird one, isn't he? Because you had Alan Jeans, who widely regarded as one of the great coaches – and from what I can tell, and you, you know, you've written a book about that great premiership year, 1989. From as what I can tell, much loved by the players, yeah, as well. And then I feel like Alan Joyce would have come into coach, and with the characters in that team, they all would have said, "Mate, whatever." Yeah. Just stay yeah. out of our way. Was it a substitute teacher? We know, sort of thing? yeah, a little bit substitute teacher. They're all pretending they've got different names. John Platman's going, yeah, 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 I'm Dipper. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was, so, I mean, they try not to bad mouth him. So I know people who, like me who came in after Jeans and only had Joyce. A lot of us really st- struggled with Joyce. Yeah. His, his personal skills were terrible. So he was a non-smiler, a non-laugher. There was no fun around the club. Ugh. There was even one captain. I, th- I think I can't remember if it was Langford or Ayres. I think it was Ayres who said, "Can you not come in on Mondays to give us one day off?" <laughs> so, and he he was rightly told, I think, to get fucked at that point. So Joyce was not going to cop that. But he was asked by the players to have one day where he didn't come in because as he walks into the room, the laughter in the gym stops. 
You know, he just had no sense. But of that humor. can be, you know, a sign of respect and authority. But you're saying not the case. Uh, not really. So I've uh, spoken to a few Bulldogs players because he went to Footscray yeah. in '94, lasted a couple of seasons, and uh, they said he was great at the start. And then they realised he had one trick, and it was uh, walk into the room. Yeah, it all goes silent, and he'd write accountability. On the, on the whiteboard and then just go, what does that mean? And the first time they're all like, yeah, and they're throwing out answers. Second time they're going, okay, well, I guess we didn't get it right the first time. Throwing out different answers. By the fifth time they're going, is this bloke for real? <laughs> yeah, well, there was a lot of that. Uh, you know, I, I remember when, when I was recruited, I'd, I'd had quite a good relationship with him while Jeans was still coaching. I was in the under-19s and we kicked the ball on the, on the oval and that sort of stuff and he was helping me and developing me. And then almost the day he was appointed, you know, I said, oh, Joycey, I've got an exam next week. And he said, look, the name's Alan. Let's get that right for oh. starters. And then I went out for a jog. <laughs> we used to do 11K jogs around the Q Boulevard, which was great for my stress fractures. Yeah. Uh, and, and 31 degree heat. And I go to put a cap on. I mean, you can see my hair wasn't long for this world and it was blonde <laughs> at the time. And, uh, and he just says, get that off. Jamie Morris, he's the only one who's allowed to wear a hat. He's got a skin condition. Oh. <laughs> you don't wear a hat in the game. You don't wear a hat at training. And what about Justin that? Lepish? Surely being a ranger. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'd already farewelled him. Oh, he course. wasn't good enough. Well, that, now we know the reason. <laughs> he, was, he was long gone. Isn't it amazing when you reflect back on that? I know uh, Mark Rusciuto, Ruse, t- was telling me about they had a training session when Neil Curley was – Neil Kelly must have been the football manager in the early days of the Crows when Graham Corns was coach. And he said they had a pre-season training camp up in the Barossa Valley. He reckons it was 40 degrees. And they weren't doing 100 hundreds, but they were doing something pretty brutal. And Curls would not let anyone have a drink until the training session. <laughs> yeah, finished that's because that was soft. Yeah. yeah. Drink, drinking water was soft. So you finish your session, then you get a drink afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Sports yeah. scientists, I think they have taken over the world. And <laughs> I'm not a massive fan, but we needed them in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, to answer your actual question, which is the Jeans Joyce comparison thing, yeah. I've been writing a Jeans biography the last year. So I've been going around all the old players and, and getting, and getting that, that question gets asked a lot. And there's, there is respect for Joyce and a sense that, you know, you can stuff it up. So you've got a brilliant side in 1988, arguably the greatest side of all time when he takes over with the Jeans aneurysm. Um, and you can stuff it up by being appalling. What he did was back away enough to allow the senior players to win it in 88. And he also, he introduced, Dermot gives him a lot of credit on one front, which is to say that they lost in 87 to the Blues and they were maybe out-muscled a little bit. It was a hot day. <laughs> David Rhys-Jones just belted them as far as I can well, recall. Well, that, that sort of <laughs> thing was going on. And, and but Joyce basically said, we're not putting up with that. And so there was, there was kind of a more open season approach going. That picking off of Dean Sharon at Melbourne with Dermot running in, they basically allowed a level of violence without saying go and uh, hit blokes. Thuggery. I, I, I knew it. i got to say, so Lee Matthews finished in 86 – that was his final 85 year. 85 was his last game. Oh, 85 was his, so... The he grand fini- final, yeah. He finished 85. So, up until his retirement, I suspect that a fair level of thuggery was... I mean, I've watched <laughs> I've watched the DVD, The Electrifying 80s. Yeah. I've never seen... And this is, this is a Hawthorne production, <laughs> right? It's not like this was independently produced to highlight the thuggery. This is a Hawthorne production. Lee Matthews... Like, it's actually extraordinary when you go back and watch it. He just 
just belts and elbows blokes in the head yeah, all every over second the joint. week. Yeah. Just amazing. It is amazing. and But I think that was probably taken on by Lee as a role, as a thing he did. And Dipper did the same, and Dermot did the same, and Ayres did the same in, in a much more legal way. Ayres, Ayres didn't normally... <laughs> It didn't normally li- lift. Isn't that limbs. classic Hawthorne Football Club? Let's talk to the lawyers. Where is the <laughs> yeah, where is the line? The line? What does the and Geneva <laughs> Convention say? I can't do on the footy field. All right, take one step back. Go for gold. Well, you had Jim Edmund. That was as bad a thing as I've ever seen up on Russell Morris on the Gold Coast. But the um the the, the, the base, Alan Jean said to Ayres, "Now, son, you know the the time when the player is most vulnerable is when he is coming up with the ball. You know, so as they're coming up out of the crouch with the ball from the ground, that's when that's when you strike. You know, so so there's this sort of analysis of the rules where there's no don't hit in the head. It was don't raise your elbows, and so and so." The target was the target time was here. They come up with the ball. Ayers <laughs> oh. will knock you out. They were practicing it. Get them right in a scone. And Gary Ayers is an interesting one to me because I think externally, if you said to people who are just fans of footy, general punters, name the hard men of Hawthorne in the eighties, well, they would say, "Oh, Matthews, Brereton, Dippy Domenico." People wouldn't necessarily name Gary Ayers, but internally. Yeah. He was... The best at it. He was the best. And there's a great story, and Tony, you might know if this is apocryphal or if this is a a real story, but there was a camp they went on where Gary Ayres took his wife. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know know this story? This is an end-of-season trip, I think. Oh, it was an end-of-season trip. So, yeah, he's he's gone up... He's brought his wife, on, I think, to America or something like that. Well, that's nice, isn't that? It, it what is a beautiful really nice. thing to do. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and so all, and but the boys were thinking that that Gary having his wife there was cramping their style a bit. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine what behaviour they are up to <laughs> and who Gary Ayres' wife may have known. Well, t- to be fair, women do ruin a lot of Bible readings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're there so, to discuss scripture and yeah. they're just there. And yeah. I don't know. But, but I, the story no goes, I can go with this without being cancelled, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> the story goes, I think, and I, I, I'm, pre- I'm sure this is a true story, which is that someone was dobbed in and my memory is that it was Dipper because Dipper is intimidating um, and that Dipper had to go and – Knock on the door yeah. of Gary Ayers. Yeah, they're already in America. They're in America. He said, send and, your wife and, home. And he, and he wanted to say, it's it's a problem for the boys that your wife is on the footy trip. And oh and he's um, – and I, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm slandering Dipper here because I'm not exactly sure that it's Dipper that did the knock. I, 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 with a, certainly the version of the story that I've heard, it was it was Dipper. So Dipper knocks on the door yeah. and Ayers, <laughs> his wife comes wearing the, host, wearing the hotel white – he hasn't been sitting down in the bar with the rest of the boys he's, he's there with his wife and he's and dipper starts trying to say is he, is he said what what's the what's the problem what do you want to talk about and and dipper does not get to the point he's unable does not summon the courage to say to Izzy that your wife <laughs> well, the, the version of the story that I've heard is almost exactly like that, except the version I've heard. Dipper says, uh, "Well, Gary, a few just a, you know, a few of the boys are saying that it's not appropriate that you." And he says, "Are you saying it?" And Dipper goes, "No, I'm not saying it. Some of the boys are saying it." And Izzy says, "All right, well, you go and get the guys that are saying it, and you tell them to come up and tell me what the problem is." <laughs> but yeah. they were. 
But kind of what I took out of the story no, is that's they, the, were that all is the of, they were all scared of Gary Ayres. But they are all scared of Gary I want to pitch a new TV show where, where Gary Ayres is like a Judge Judy type person. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that that he is just a completely reasonable and lovely man. I mean, he that, so the, the reason he is terrifying is that he, he had sort of a, a physical presence. Um, he had charisma. But he, he's, there's nothing mean or violent or unreasonable about him hence <laughs> bringing his wife on the footy chip and not caring yeah <laughs> that's he's a bit runs to the operates to the beat of his own drum and just while we're on sort of Hawthorne matters from the 80s oh uh, god it just <laughs> <laughs> Tony if you're wondering why it's taken so long to get you on the show it's because uh, yeah, I knew yeah. this would happen so, we, we, so I might get a can I have a double episode of a twin pack <laughs> yeah. CD yeah <laughs> <laughs> we might, we might need one. Now we'll move on to other things shortly. But you're you're a man who loves a good speech. You've got a great podcast, Speakola. Yes. Um, uh, where you examine famous speeches in history. You're also writing a biography of Alan Jeans. You've written 1989, the book about uh, that. How many books have you written? It's like 20, isn't it? It is 20. Yeah. 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 Um, the, a lot is made of the Alan Jeans speech. Pay the price. Yeah. Which and the speech I've got to say has a great sentiment. But when now you, what, what is it for, when for you, those well, of us who aren't Hawthorne nerds? The, the speech is they come in at halftime and he tells a story about buying a pair of shoes as a kid. And instead of getting the expensive pair, he got the cheap pair and the shoes fell apart. Mm. And the point being, if you pay the price, you get you would have got better shoes if you yeah. just you paid gotta, the price. And then what he did was he said, pay the price. And he said, pay the price. And he said it 50 times. And it got louder each time. To the point where Chris Langford was in the corner going, he's going, he's had an aneurysm a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> PC, Pete, Pete Curran, get in position. You're going to have to catch him. We okay. Ask him, does he smell burning toast? <laughs> he's going, he, and they, so, like, um, Langford was the one, he's a bit of a demurrer, you know, like he didn't just say what all the other guys had said. Demurrer? I didn't even know these yeah. words. Stop getting George. authors on, Lee. Like, like, what's demurrer? Well, isn't it to say the opposite? Um, uh, you can write into yeah. <laughs> what's the like PO it. box here for you guys. <laughs> um, if, if, if it's not to say the opposite, you then let let them know. But he basically doesn't say exactly what all the other interviewees say. Right. So it's not hagiography. There's another big word on jeans. He actually can say, look, you know, there are some elements of him that were great and some elements that were less great. And and mm. and but with this speech. Ayers said that he just loved it. I couldn't believe how good it was and went out onto the MCG after halftime with tears running down his oh, r- yeah, r- right. r- running down his cheeks. And Dipper with the um, lung was trying to hide. He said, Dipper swears every second word. He said, oh, normally I'd be out the fucking front, but oh, I just didn't want him to see him. D- didn't want him to see me. He could see that I was weak. So I was at the back. I was hiding from him. But then he starts going, pay the price, pay the price. Oh, man. Yeah, it filled my fucking chest. I, could, I, could, I was ready to go again. You know what I'm saying? Just hearing so, Dipper say, pay the price, he just expected you to go, pay the price. At Dibby's all fortunes was great. <laughs> and so Dip, Dipper's at the back hiding and then gets lifted up out of his chair and yells as he goes out there. And But, but um, Chris Langford was much more like, no, stop now. Stop! No, you said it. You need to stop now. It's, it's, this, this is not a this is not a rev up. This is a next level loss of control. And what Langford said was that he was always such a the grand final treated as another game. Be, yeah, be okay. in control of your emotions. And he said one of the reasons we were forty points up at quarter time is that we were in control of our emotions in that first quarter, and Geelong weren't. 
You know, because we had the experience of other grand finals, because we knew how to prepare and knew how to block out yep. the, the sense of it being a grand final or use mm. the energy in a positive way. And he said, and to have him go like that, for me, it was too much, is what, is what Chris said, Langer said. And so, mm. you know. And then Geelong kicked like 12 goals. Well, that's right. So if you actually look at the pay the price, I mean, mind you, you can look at it that we were, we really were cooked. So you got, you, you've got um, Platten out cold talking about the grand final parade. Um, you've got uh, Dipper with the, the subcutaneous emphysema. You've got um, Dermot. Is cooked as well, so he he hardly gets a kick after halftime. Right. Um, so there's three done. Ayers is about to tear his thigh. Five minutes time. Uh, Tucky's going to do the splitting of the webbing. So what Gene sensed was probably that Ablett is playing a masterpiece out there, and we're down to sixteen already, and we're soon going to be down to fourteen. Um, yeah, we, it's not as, it's not as We've big a lead as we think. Yeah. Mm, Do you know what what was Malcolm Blight saying at his halftime speech? So they none of them remember it. So they the, <laughs> so hypnosis. <laughs> so, it's a bit of a kick in the guts for Blighty. Because <laughs> <So. laughs> so. one of the I don't know if oh. it was in your book or it was in uh, that great book by I think it's James Button about Geelong yeah. rebuilding. Um, the the image that it, it's written so well. So you must have written it. I, um, I quoted it. I, I pinched it directly oh, from okay, James. Sweet. So it's uh, it's the first few minutes, the yeah. first opening seconds of the '89 Grand Final. Mark mm. Yates runs it at Dipper and uh, sorry at, at Dermy and flattens him and apparently. Uh, you know, there's just the crowd is going ballistic, and Blighty is in the coach's box with a cigarette, alpine, like a, <laughs> and a, what? Is it, with an alpine, with an alpine. There's even a dart in this coach's yeah. box. Yeah. And the, how Bond villain is this? He's not. He's watching where the ball is, and he's going, "How did our plan succeed?" And they yeah. went very well. And he just takes the drag. Goes, Excellent. <laughs> no, no, the exact wording, according to James Button, was so Ablett kicks that opening goal at the 42nd yeah. mark of the quarter. Dermot's been down the whole time. Everyone's watching the goal go through from Ablett. The crowd's going crazy. Blight is staring at Dermot, having not moved in the middle, having organised the plan, including an X marks the spot at halftime in the reserves grand final with his uh, Julius Marlowe oh. business shoes. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. He said, he said to Yates, look, if you get back, get back five metres from the line and time your run before the bounce so you can hit top speed... You can make sure because it'll take it takes three or four seconds to get to him as he comes in, but you can be moving at top speed as the ball is bounced. So they so start five meters back or four meters back, and they marked he marked an X marked the spot. Here's the spot to run from. Believe or not, amazing. Schultz, whatever Schultz was, he says name Michael Schultz. He stupidly stands on the wrong side of Burton. So they've had this plan the whole time. Oh. <laughs> and Yates is having to make eye contact with Schultz. Move going, out of the way. Slaps his forehead and, and to open up the avenue. So this is Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Um, man, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Quartermain tells me, because he was living with Dermy at the time. Oh, really? They were, yeah. Man, that's another good sitcom we should pick. They were, they were Dermy ha- and Quarters. They were housemates <laughs> at the time and Quarters said he... Uh, on the Thursday night, Dermot got home from training and Quarters had heard about the plan. Oh. And wow. said to Dermy, I've I have it on good authority that you're being targeted wow. on uh, the weekend oh. and Dermy just went whatever. 
Oh. Damn it, did not take amorphous threats of violence in his direction (laughs) with anything other than a grain of salt. I hear you're being targeted. He goes, yeah, it's Thursday. (laughs) Man, are you now suddenly thinking, Limo, that Malcolm Blight might be behind the Kennedy assassination? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Malcolm Blight does the – and he's very stressed going into the grand final and and, – Yates and him often did share a cigarette together, not obviously in the hours bef- in the hour before a grand final. But Blight was in the toilet at the MCG and went. There were six butts around his feet when Yates went in and said, "You know, how are you going, mate?" And said, "Nervous, yeah, nervous." Yeah. And um, and, and this is pre pre-match. pre-match. She said, "Yates said it'll be okay. We're we're good to go." And 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 Yates then um, yeah. So th- when he hits Blight. The question is asked, I think it's Wells. So not the recruiter Wells, but his brother was the assistant coach <laughs> in the box with Blight. With the Cuban mafia <laughs> and, and he, the CIA. And he, he'd been watching the goal go through and he said, how'd that other thing go? And this is when he does the drag on the cigarette, the Alpine. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. It's so just, good. It's, it's just so good. The reason uh, – it's so cinematic, the yeah. way that you can just imagine it. Is yeah. the – I mean, and it's just, you know, and you, when you look for individual moments in grand finals, it's hard to name a bigger one than that. Yeah. The smashing of Dermy. But that grand final, I mean, you've written a book about it, but there's so many moments. I've actually – and you would have spoken to John Platten uh, yeah. plenty of times over the years – I saw him at a function in Adelaide at the beginning of last year and I said to him, and we were chatting away, and I said, oh, I have to ask you a question that I've been meaning to ask you for years. Who knocked you out in the 89 grand final? Because you don't see it on the coverage and you actually you don't see him down at all. on the. And he said, he said, Buddha hocking. He said, I'm not, he said, I'm not 100% sure, but Buddha Hocking. So Buddha Hocking must never have fessed up to that. Oh, or other players haven't, didn't see it. Or <laughs> He claimed Lee Harvey or, Oswald did it. <laughs> or, or Platts, I think, got straight up as well. There's, to, there is a chapter on this in my book <laughs> on the oh, on right. Platten being hit. So he's hit multiple times over the quarter. And so you could ask, argue, given he's now involved in a, in a class action that's talking about um, the cumulative effect of concussion – it's possible that there wasn't a, like a killer blow in the way that you see most people get knocked yeah, right. out, that he had a cumulative number of head knocks in that first quarter. And there's one where he hits Buddha's thigh. It's reasonably accidental from Buddha in an accidental and in, in inverted commas way because right, yep. Buddha was out of control. And then there's another one where he gets him late. doesn't look terrible, but as Platten gets up, he kind of he was such a balanced person, one of the great footballers of the era. He kind of just stumbles a little bit as he's running back, as though he hasn't got his balance entirely. And then, and I reckon this is the the grassy knoll shot. <laughs> as you the, see, Buddha Hocking falls back and to the left, and to the left, back and to the left. This and is the this is the Wilson Commission so report. This, because there weren't enough cameras in 1989. There's he's over on the other side of the centre square, um, and. And Buddha actually has the ball and, and Platten is coming in to tackle. I think Buddha raises his forearm and gets – it's right before the first uh, quarter siren, quarter yeah. time siren. And Buddha's running it, Platten, Platten goes to tackle and Buddha goes up with the forearm in the tackle. And I think that's the one. That's because, the killer blow. Because he Platten is a mess at quarter time. So he says to the, to the medical – the medical staff find him in the middle of the ground asking when the – 
when the parade is going to start. Parade, which is the day the before. The day before that's already oh happened. Oh, God. And so yeah. he, he couldn't have had even a minute of being that knocked out and still playing the game. So I reckon it's the one just before the siren that has put him into kingdom come. Mm. Oh. He was uh, – <laughs> uh, one of my favourite <coughs> ever – Sto- uh, AFL stories is talking to John Kennedy Senior about the seventy one Kennedy. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, yeah. another link. John oh my Kennedy, God, John Kennedy Senior about the seventy one Grand Final and Cowboy Neil knocking out Peter Hudson in the first yeah. quarter, split his ear in half. Oh, and Peter Hudson didn't even get a free kick. Yeah. <laughs> this is where your your old man was playing yeah. in this one. Uh, so I don't know what your old man's recollections of this are, but I was saying to John Kennedy Senior, gee, you had a different attitude to concussion back then, didn't you? Because he, Peter Hudson played out the game and famously missed beating yeah. the 150-goal Bob Pratt's 150-goal record. And John Kennedy said, he said, well, Lumo, you don't need beautiful eyes and a pretty face to play football, do you? <laughs> you need two arms and two legs. <laughs> exactly how he always said. Injuries above the head didn't count. That yeah. was his mantra that Dad goes on about. And he had, there's room in your life for a job, <laughs> a football, and a, for two out of three of the job, girlfriend, and football was... <laughs> <laughs> there was always a sense that the job and the football were okay, but the girlfriend probably had to go by the wayside. Uh, um, he had a lot of sayings like that, and Dad, Dad worshipped John Kennedy. Um, uh, and and in fact, Dad, Dad picked Hutto up for one of those misses as he when he kicks the out of bounds on the full one from fifteen or twenty meters out. Yeah, Dad picks him up, and there was a photo in the Tasmanian with Mercury or the equivalent back then that said, fellow Tasmanians, commiserate. Oh. Uh, and uh, because Dad was living in – he actually commuted the whole year from Sandy Bay. He was training at Sandy Bay earlier in the week and then later yeah, in the right. week he'd play the game for Hawthorne. And uh, in fact, Dad said it wasn't a very accurate subtitle because actually what I said to him was, we're not going to win this fucking game with you on the ground. <laughs> can, you, <laughs> can you get up, please? Oh, can, I, can I recommend that you remain upright? <laughs> We were they were seven points up at the time. Yeah, I love I love it when <laughs> when everyone interprets a situation for their own benefit. Yeah. Like when Carmichael Hunt kicked the goal yeah. for uh, the Gold Coast Suns Against to beat Richmond, Richmond yeah. the goal after the siren, and you see Gary Ablett Jr. run over to him and talk to him. Yeah, and then in the post match press conference, you know, it says, "Oh, great to see great leadership from Gary Ablett mm-hmm. and Guy McKenna saying, yeah, absolutely, that's just classic Gary. He would have been over there just giving a few words of wisdom.' And everyone was talking up this narrative about Gary right. being a great leader. So, what's it going to be, Tony? What did, what did he actually say? Was it why didn't you pass to me, or can I talk to you about Jesus, or <laughs> can I get some meth? Which no, one of the three is I it? Think, so I think he would have said, "Can you fake an injury so that I can take this kick?" <laughs> that is exactly what he said. Which so they were on the team bus and he was sitting next to Campbell Brown, and Brownie was watching on his phone, watching something. And then Brownie just turned to him and said, "Hey, what did you say to come on, Hunt?" And Gary said, and "Little Gaz goes, don't tell anyone, but I told him to stay down and fake an injury so I could take the kick." Brilliant, <laughs> great Zero. leadership from the skipper. All right, Tony, I want to talk to you about because we last week we did a deep dive into uh, the thirty for thirties we love and the sports docos. Yes, you're an actual sports documentary maker. 
Mm. And you have made two of my favourite uh, sports docos of all time. One hasn't even been released yet. You just snuck it through to me. And I, and I actually watched it last night, but it's already in my top five. I loved it so much. Oh, thank you, mate. Again, admittedly, it was right in my wheelhouse about uh, Australian soccer in the 90s. But um, let's talk about the Galahs, because I don't reckon enough people, footy fans, have seen the Galahs. Mm. Limo hasn't seen the Galahs. And I haven't seen the Galahs. It's such and, a good story. And I was even trying to... Because I know, like I know the Galahs, and I was trying to piece it together. And I said to you before we started recording, "Does this involve Dipper?" And it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. No. Is this going way back to a touring yes. team? Way, way back yes. in the day. Yes. So, nineteen sixty-seven, and it, it's the story of a group of they're, they're like a group of all-star VFL footballers who it's went, like the All Australian team. It is, yeah. but but said only in Victoria before your angry WA in South Australia. <laughs> Uh, listeners <laughs> write in. They went the next year. So there was a nineteen six there was South Australian and Western Australian involvement the following year in sixty eight. Okay. But in sixty seven, uh, Harry Beitzel is usually credited as the as the genius behind this trip. That basically he put mortgaged his house, got the money together and said, Let's take on the Irish at his, at their own game. Um, and the, the All-Ireland Champions, the Meath, £10,000, winner-take-all, our great Australian athletes will knock over your Irishman, no worries yeah. at all. And In the so, first international rules clash. Yeah, that's right. And so the mythology says that it's all now, Harry. who's in this team? Uh, you've got Alex Jezelenko, oh. a very young Jezza. Yeah. You've got Royce Hart. Yeah. John Nichols. Hassaman. And who's captain? Ron Barassi. Oh, uh, you've got... Um, Ted Whitten in it? No, Ted, Ted Whitten, no. Couldn't afford uh, the flight. Little fella, uh, <laughs> South Melbourne, triple Brownlow medalist. Oh, Bobby Skilton. Bob Skilton. He's there. Is there a story in amongst this about an Indigenous player who couldn't get a passport? So, yeah, Sid Jackson went in 1968 and he was a Carlton Rover legend and he apparently when he got his... He didn't have identification papers that made it easy for him to get a passport and so basically Sid Jackson uh, ended up getting a passport there was an intervention from the Australian government to make sure that Sid could get one and and then when he got his passport he was so proud to have it Um, you might say that it's really quite a shameful situation that means that he had trouble getting one but yeah but he he was so proud to have it that he carried it on him for many years his actual passport and that that was to 68 he only became a citizen the year before because of that well, know, the, 67 referendum. Well, the 67 referendum, there's, there's kind of the Indigenous people, um, I don't think it was actually a referendum on on citizenship. It was oh, about okay. making laws in relation to Aboriginal people and about them being... Humans? <laughs> yeah, there are elements of that that yeah. go into it. Um, so, but I think they were citizens and could travel. Okay. That wasn't that right. wasn't the problem. The problem was Sid Jackson's specific circumstances of being a child who didn't have a, a birth certificate. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. But okay. So, Limo, without spoiling the story too much, mm. the, my favourite bit of this is they they play they play uh, Meath, Meath yeah. in Ireland. Don't they play an English team as well? Yeah, they play a sort of a combined. It's like a practice match because they're learning the rules. They can't kick a, a round ball. They're really yeah. struggling with it. Yeah, I mean, apparently Ken Fraser went on this trip. He's a legend of Essendon, captain of a premiership side, and he had twenty-seven shots at goal and kicked three. You know, the ball is just <laughs> bending yeah, off right. in all sorts of directions because if you're not used to kicking a round ball, the old goalie kick, yeah, it's yeah. very hard to get the right directions yeah. on it. And so um, that was one thing they struggled with. So they practised against a English kind of combined 
Um, they're almost like Australians living in England. And a bunch of cops, is that? Yeah, like that well? was in New York. Oh, yeah, you know, we'll get to that. That's, yeah. even, that's my even more favourite bit. <laughs> so, so we smash England. We smash England because they're, they're amateurs. Yeah. They're not even proper. Hey, um, hey, hey, don't ruin this. We smash England, yeah. which is always great. <laughs> then go over play an island. Let's, uh, I suppose we can't have to spoil what happens here because I love this story so much, but this doesn't ruin the documentary at all. You need to see this story. And Although will it ruin it if people – because I like not knowing results – Okay, all right. Sporting well, all right. contests if How's I'm this? watching a dog. Let's not give away the results, but uh, the Irish media weren't happy with some Australian tactics. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they, they, the Irish media thought that we were very physical yes. and that we didn't understand the no-tackle element of <laughs> Irish football. <laughs> nice to and see. So, nice and, and, and John yeah. Nichols kept falling. The, the word, the expression was that John Nichols kept falling on these Irish <laughs> men. And it's very funny. We interviewed the Irish players. And I said, oh, you see them with their, their shirts. They didn't have the uh, sleeves on the shirts and the big muscles. And, oh, they were, they were big specimens of men, you know. Like, <laughs> there's, this, there's this awe from these little guys that, yeah, that, yeah. as they're bumping into. Sounds like know. my mum every time she watches the Daniel Craig interview. There's <laughs> <laughs> a specimen right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the Australians being a bit rough is a theme that's continued through oh, yes. the international yeah. rules. So the it? word gets out that we're rough and the last leg of the tour after the game against Meath, the All Island Champions, is over in New York, and they're all wrapped to be going to America, and they're out yeah. on. They go and have a, a trip <laughs> over to Disneyland, and they have a, they go to Las Vegas for a night. Barass on the tear, you know, oh, that sort of, man, that sort of uh, right. Okay, of all the things we've talked about in this uh, podcast, what would you love to? I was thinking just then, if I had a time machine, I would love to go back and hear the halftime chats of Alan Jeans and Malcolm Blight. But now you're bringing in Ron Barassi's one night ever in Vegas. I got him. I can't miss that. I they're, like, they're yeah. dressed in suits. Like they've got photos. We've got photos in the documentary, and they are the the the, the Rat Pack. You know, yes, like they're pack. they're wearing their 1967 suits, heading off to Vegas for the night with the old strip oh. lights behind oh, them. Man. and you know, it's, it's and yeah, you know, there's a chance like one of the one of the actual Rat Pack was probably doing a show well, that that's night. Right. No, they saw someone. It was it was oh. Tony Bennett, I think they saw Tom. Tony Tom, Tom oh no, Tom Jones wouldn't have been there yet. He would have been too Elvis young. wasn't there yet. But can you imagine Frank yeah. being in the same room as Frank Sinatra and Ron Barassi? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's a that's a dinner party. Some yeah. royalty. I mean, I would love the idea of hanging out with a 28 year old Ron Barassi. He's pretty oh, cool. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and it's it's very funny that the John Nichols played with Barass at Carlton, and he's a senior figure on this trip but he's he's a bit like Gary Ayres I guess that there was a, he had his own intimidation about him that was quite separate to Barass so Barass is ruling this trip with an iron fist they're playing a, a pretty low-key practice scratch match in at Crystal Palace ground in London and um, and one of the tour members Andrew Buckle says let's walk across Trafalgar Square and see a little bit of London Barass or being Barass says no one's walking anywhere stay on the bus we don't want them getting leg weary before tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and John Nichols just goes, I'm walking across the square. Oh. And he just gets out of the bus and oh. walks off with Andrew Buckle. So then we <laughs> so, go to New York. So, um, so John Nichols' commitment to tourism was <laughs> over, overrode any sort of fear he might have of Ron Barassi. And just before we get to New York, it's a story from about mm, 2004, trip to Ireland. And I've had this verified. Is this Fev? No, it was no, the same. Right. I think it was the same trip, actually. Oh, no, no, it wasn't the same trip. It was an earlier trip. And Nathan Buckley said, all right, 
Fellas, we've got a game in two days. This is addressing the troop at, at the hotel, the team at the hotel. Game in two days. Um, just take it easy. You know, we want to make a good account of ourselves. We're representing Australia. We're going to take this seriously. Plus, we want to win this game as well. Uh, so, you know, let's obey the curfew. No going out tonight or tomorrow night. Just take it easy. And then another leader... <laughs> who I will not name oh. on that particular trip stood up and went, well, you could do that or you could come out in the piss with me for the next two nights. Ah. <laughs> now, all right, I don't, I'm going to play Columbo here. I'm gonna, uh, now, who would have told this story? Could it be someone who maybe Limo has done radio with very regularly over the past two years who was also a leader of that trip? Mm. Who may even share a Brownlow. Oh, no. Oh, does share a Brownlow with Bucks. He does share a Brownlow Marcus with Nathan. Nathan. Adam yeah, Goods yeah. did that. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, well, do you know the Brendan Favola story? Nick Cody is a, another comedian, friend of the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. He does breakfast radio with Brendan Favola now. If you ask Favola about the time he got sent home from Ireland, Feb's reaction is, yeah, I got home for drinking and fighting. I thought I was in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's almost, I mean, De- comedian Des Bishop has almost the exact same joke. Oh, really? Where, well, he was grown up as a kid in New York and uh, he was basically an alcoholic at the age of 14. So his parents, to punish him, sent him to Ireland. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you sent an alcoholic to Ireland? Yeah. Uh, well, the, uh, the, the social stories on this trip are amazing. The one I love about John Nichols is that there's a guy called Norm Brown. He speaks in this deep Australian drawl. He's yeah. Fitzroy legend. And he just says, oh, you know, Big Nick had over-trained a little on the day. Whenever anyone had drunk too much to Norm Brown, that was over-trained. Big Nick had over-trained and uh, he went to bed a little early. Um, and so it was Skilts and I decided that we might, um, you know, like well, there was some ice left from the drinks and we decided to put that into Big Nick's bed. Oh, and no. <laughs> so we put that into the bed and, and, uh, and let it go. He didn't wake up because he'd over-trained and... <laughs> The next morning we're going over to him and saying, oh, yeah, did you sleep last night, Nick? It was a little bit chilly, was it? <laughs> In the end, Big Nick uh, gave a corky on the bus that Skilts has never forgotten. No. <laughs> there you go. How, how did you go, Tony, for getting vision together for you? Because, you know, vision in sports documentaries. Well, is, yes. uh, <coughs> we need to talk about his help. next doco because he's got even better stories about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, so it is the big challenge because we, we, we're specialising. We are sepia tones, which is it's not just me who makes the documentaries. It's um, Rob Heath and Cam Fink as well. And... We're specialising in the historical docos where you're trying to dredge up the archival material and, and Rob in particular is, is brilliant at doing this. So, for example, we, we um, raided the players' personal photo collections so a lot of them took uh, cameras with them on the trip and in the case of uh, one of the players, they took the Super 8 camera along as well, right. Johnny Dugdale. Oh, okay. Johnny Dugdale who has the greatest still mark photo that apparently I found out this year disappointingly, Google John Dugdale mark and you will see arguably the greatest ever Aussie Rules photo Yeah, and mm-hmm. I've heard that he dropped the mark. Oh no! Oh, yeah, no. I've always Gary just, Ablett. I've always con- I've controversially <laughs> thrown him in as my favourite AFL mark, and I've heard that he dropped it. It's no. just. No. Oh yeah, because the ball's not in his hands. It's, as yeah. You, anyway, oh, how's the sit though? I'm <laughs> just unbelievable. It. Oh, that it's is good. Yeah, we're putting, oh. let's put that up on the socials. You'll see that. All right, yeah. I'm gonna, actually, let's. Uh, we got to get on to your, your new doco. 
People just need to watch the Galahs. It's on Stan. It's on Stan, and it's what on- happens in New York is brilliant. Yes, it I is. love it. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, um, so, but yeah, I watched your your latest documentary, uh, which Limo knows absolutely nothing about. Nice, and and even I, you know, and I'm a I'm a soccer guy. I knew that this had happened. I didn't realize the magnitude of it. So, tell us in a nutshell what it's about. So, it's about a legendary footballer, round ball, coming to Australia in the late '80s and coaching an NSL team, managing an NSL team. And and when I say legendary, this is a guy. The it's opening Cristiano line of the, Ronaldo. It's equivalent. Cristiano Ronaldo. So, in the 1950s, there was a guy called Ferenc Pushkas who played for Hungary, and you might have heard of the Magyars, the the magical Magyars, who were the dominant team. They won for six years, 1949 to 54. They won every game. And the, what's the one they lost? World Cup World final. World Cup final. They, they mm, <laughs> two nil up at the eight-minute mark. Yeah, lost, right. Lost 3-2. Uh, three three two. Two. Yeah. And, and uh, had a disallowed goal in the 90th minute as well. Who'd they, they Who they lose to? Brazil. Uh, they lost to Germany. Oh, Germany. Sorry. So right. the Germans always win, as Gary Lineker says. But <laughs> this guy, Ferenc Pushkas, played 84 internationals. He scored 83 goals. And was a legend at Real Madrid. And so then when he has two years off, because there's a Hungarian uprising in 56, gets, he was out of the country at the time, decides not to go back. To I thought they'd brought him in anyway. No, he was, he was out of the country on football duties. Right. And half the team went back, half the team stayed out. Yeah. He decided to stay out. He got his wife out of, of Hungary as well. And so he goes, and, and for two years he's banned because they defecting was a two-year punishable by FIFA. Couldn't play for two years. When he goes back, he's in his 30s at Real Madrid. Tops the goal, golden boot five years in the league right. in his 30s. <laughs> No, yeah. he's a, and it, didn't he, I just Wikipedia him after I watched the doco last night. Played three games for Spain. Yeah, how they, good's that? You can just imagine Franco because it was prime Franco time. Just would have gone. Yeah, you're Spanish now. Well, yeah. that's, that's like when you see um, who's the most appalling state of origin inclusion for Victoria, where you see oh, like Polly Farmer played thirty games no, for yeah. Victoria. No, Choco Williams captained <laughs> Victoria, didn't he? In a state of origin game, and as a South Australian, you watch it go. Hold the fucking bus. Yeah, that is bullshit, mate. Jason. And Dunstall as well as always not he, he's, yeah. he's a Queenslander <laughs> so he wasn't allowed to go back to um, Hungary to play so they must have given him a dispensation after six or eight years of living there or whatever to play mm. for Spain so he played a couple of games for Spain but he's a legend an absolute colossus of can't football. go anywhere in Europe no, absolutely without being mobbed huge so the, yep. the stadium where they played the Euros a couple of weeks ago in Hungary you remember how we saw them not social distancing and it was this yeah. one crazy yeah. game that was Pushka Stadium. Uh, the goal of the year, best goal that's kicked in the world each year. There was a guy, I think our guy Rory McCready was up with the Scorpion kick a couple of years ago oh, as nice. a contender. Didn't Tim Cahill at the World Cup get oh, nominated as got, well? I think he got in goals of the World Cup. Don't think he got up in the All Pushkas right. Award. It's called so, the Pushkas Award. So, so, the, so you win if you win the best goal of the year, it's the Pushkas Award. So this guy has yeah, his right. spot up there with Maradona, um, Pelé. Pelé, these guys. And so... Archie Thompson, out. he's up there with all of them. So it was Rob, in credit, my, my co-director, Rob, says to me, you know that Pushkas coached South Melbourne Hellas, the Greek club, in the NSL between 1989 and 1991 and won the championship? And uh, go and have a look at how that game unfolds on YouTube as well because you, that is an unbelievable Yeah, game. Playing, playing Melbourne Knights, like yeah. most hated rivals, and South s- Melbourne Hellas and Melbourne Knights. Did you know mm. that he was – and so because we're footy people, I mean, I've become a, a, a soccer fan over the, the 20 years, really since the Iran game in 97 was my conversion moment. 
but I've been a, born a football person, a footy AFL person. <laughs> yeah, over ball, round yeah, ball is probably yeah, the easiest yeah. way to... Mm. And so, um, how did I not know this? I read the age sport back to front for every day of my childhood. Yeah, yeah. How do I not know that Lionel Messi is coaching as a fat <laughs> 60-year-old, coaching yeah, yeah. Central Coast Mariners, yeah. you know? So, I mean, and so when I found out he was there and then, and then he says, let's do it. Let's go speak to all the South Melbourne guys. Let's start. Let's do the Galahs. Because who was captain of South Ange, Melbourne? Ange Postacoglu, captain of South Melbourne. Oh, oh. And, uh, and then you've got Paul Timboli, 400 games. So this guy NSL. coached Ange Postacoglu? Yeah, yes. and in fact, um, he lived out in Ashwood. This is what's so crazy about it. So as we started investigating it, uh, Ferenc Pushkas, where would Lionel Messi live if he came here? Well, he might have the top two floors of Crown or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, like yeah. yeah. Turak sort of, Mansion. So, so because it's 50s sport with 50s pay... He's a normal guy who's travelling the world, <laughs> getting his normal paycheck. And so he goes out, he came out in relation to some Keysborough clinics. So he was like out there. A, hung, a really prominent Hungarian businessman here just yeah. said, hey, come out and. Brought him out. Brought him out. And he turned out to be a bit of an Alan Bond type yeah, figure. Yeah. So it's it was it, all about just. It collapsed. Going. The empire collapsed. And yeah. he wasn't paid at the clinics. And so he's enjoying Australia. And you've got footage of him playing those clinics. How's this, Limo? He's I'm like. Just, I'm just. Like, his Wikipedia page is appropriately large oh, yes. for, a, for a legend. <laughs> but there's great footage at the start of this doco where you see Ferenc Puskas, who's. Looking the size of David Boone now, just yeah. an enormous like Norm from Cheers yeah, right. level obesity, yeah. and he's playing this little scratch match on a dirt track in Keysborough. Up. And every yeah. kick, like he can't run, but every kick hits a target, sets up a goal. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and he hits the post with a swerving one, and he takes a penalty that any of the England team could have used in the Euro <laughs> final. It's, yeah. a, it's a, it was an incredible penalty. He's just, it, and they all talk about his genius. So his his ability to hit with his left foot, you know, he's probably as as high as any player in the history of the game, just as, as a striker. Yeah. He's, he hit the 10 marker when they put the targets around, just 10 out of 10. He would hit, he would hit the crossbar, 9 and 10 out of 10. Yeah. And Incredible. why did he love Australia so much? Is it because, like, no one knew who he was here and he was able think, to be himself? So he would go down to the Ackland Street TAB and hang out there. He loved... Punting. <laughs> so he would just be, if he was sitting there, no one knew who he was, um, he would hang out and drink his little spritzes and eat his Hungarian food and there was a community here. Yeah. And so he, I think he had friends and he could walk around without being hassled and he just, and he'd lived in, um, he'd travelled the world being Ferenc Pushkas in football countries and here he was in a non-football country being able to really live a very low-key life. And he, uh, and he loved it. And the only pla- mm. and the first place where he was actually sort of recognised was when uh, he went into like the South Melbourne like social club, or South yeah. Melbourne Hella Social Club, and they all went, "What the? <laughs> 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 yeah. So they they when the clinics fall through, they have a round table meeting. You're enjoying it here. Let's find you a job. You need a job. So they ring South <laughs> Melbourne Hellas. It's not, it's not South Melbourne Hellas going to Hungary and saying, hey, we need a profile boost. Yeah. It's the opposite way around. It's, so it's the they get a of call. Like, they of get like a call. The Canberra Cannons defunct NBL team <laughs> just getting a call going, hey, um, we're trying to find this guy a job. Do you, can Michael Jordan coach you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he can. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the poor previous coach, he probably got bulleted. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Without, so, um, yeah. 
Uh, but he influences Ange Postacoglu's style of play. It's very aggressive. Like they they lose game seven three. Yeah. But he's like, nah, just keep attacking, keep attacking, keep attacking, and that snowballs. If it wasn't Ferenc Puskas, we don't win the Asian Cup in 2015. And I guess mm. where I was getting to was that with Ange was that he lived out in Ashwood behind this garden supplies, just with huge top piles of, of mulch and stuff and trucks, 30 trucks out the back and, yeah. and living in a, such a modest little weatherboard. It's, 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 it's a strange place to think of a legend living. And Ange Postacoglu, because he didn't drive, Ange would drive him to training. So he'd come pick him up or drive him to the airport if he was going back to Spain. Um, and, and so Ange got to know him really well just driving him around Melbourne. And so there's this sort of connection. They're talking about it at the moment because as we record this, um, Celtic are off to Hungary. Ferenc, Ferenc Varos. Yeah, and they're about to. And they, they asked him overnight about the driving around of Ferenc Pushes. It's become part of the Ange Postacoglu uh, legend because the team he coached before South Melbourne was uh, Panathinaikos, one of the biggest teams in the Greek soccer league. Yeah, took him to the Champions League final. Yeah, and Punskas couldn't speak English, but he could speak Greek because he lived there for five years. Yeah, just so a, Ange just spoke to him in Greek. Spoke to him in Greek, and when when you see the documentary next year oh, about the translating, yeah. uh, anyway, we got to leave some for sizzle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. There's so. Has a documentary ever, because I'm looking at his Wikipedia now, uh, and it says he appears in a couple of different films, playing so little roles. <laughs> He's in Police Academy 5. He's oh, but there, the so there's a, like a Hungarian-made yeah. documentary about him so here. what we figured but was that the story of Ferenc Puskas is, is largely told. I mean, if, if there'll be there's a film from 2009. It's an okay film. Um, it's... It's pretty static, talking heady sort of film, but yeah. it's, it's okay. And if you want to know the story of his career, and also it's made by Hungarians, so it's made with a deference. It's like making a story about Bradman. You know, you're, you, you're dealing with a legend that is so prevailing in the country that you've got to be sort of careful. And, mm. and, and But what our film is, is that it's this little thing. I mean, the level to which um, Berenc Pushkas cared about how his club got, went... Well, if you look at the YouTube, you can see him sitting on the bench during the penalty shootout of, of the 91 grand final as though he does not give a shit. <laughs> sure yeah, right. I, think, I think that's unfair on him. I think he did care and he did want to win, but there's it was a lifestyle thing out here for him. Yeah, and yeah. It, it wasn't the centre of his life. He'd done it all by and the time he, he got here. He looks like, you know, anyone who grew up in the 70s or 80s, you had that uncle who was fat but fun and just usually sat at the at whatever Christmas or whatever, barely moved, chain smoking, but yeah. you always kind of you ran up to him and he'd give you a tussle of the hair and a Mars bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a, a, he, he, does, he sounds sounds like a fun guy. They all loved him. All the players yeah. loved him, and they said he just had a warmth to him and a humour and a and a kind of and, and and created an atmosphere. And I, when I'm doing this Alan Jeans biography, I think that was one of the successes of Alan Jeans as well. That there's sort of a you like being there. They're sort of daunting. They're a little bit terrifying, but they're funny and you like being around them. And uh, I think Pushkas absolutely had that. And he was, um, yeah, so we, we are able to approach the story from this end of life thing, this kind of last leg of his football life. Yeah, he life. died in 06. Yeah, he dies in 06 yeah. and he has um, dementia through the late 90s. Um, so basically it's this it's a little bit irreverent because the players uh, you know they're just aware that it's a fish out of water you mm. know so so it's and, and so there hasn't been a film made about him 
this that focuses on only three or four years of his life, which is these years here in Australia. And what's it called? Uh, I think it's working title time still, okay, but yeah, it's sure. called. It, I want to call it Galloping South because oh. he'd be galloping south to Australia. Then there's mm. South Melbourne, and his nickname is the Galloping Major because okay. he was a major in the Hungarian army. So the Hungarians all know oh, him as right. the Galloping Major. Oh. So if it was Galloping South, Ferenc Puskas in Australia, 1991, 1988 to 92. Yeah, that works. So, yeah, it's, it's like quite that. long. It's, well, you, you put a co- there's <laughs> yeah, a the subtitle column. in there, yeah, but, yeah. you know, yeah. 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 I love it. What a great story. It is, a, it is a great oh, yeah, story. And, yeah. and, and, and if you've got $50,000, Limo. Oh, yeah. So we um, we can, currently. Can I name it? Yeah, you, get, you, <laughs> can, you can name it for 50 grand. And okay. So we've had a couple of really kind donations, but we're at the point where we're putting the music on. David Brighty's doing the music. Oh, brilliant. Um, the final, uh, Ken Sellos is doing the the tight edit. We've done the edit ourselves, but then we hand it over to the guy who does Chopper, who did Chopper. Oh. And he'll, um, he'll say, he'll make no, it good. cut that out. Yeah. To sharpen that up there. He's, yep. the, he's that guy. And then we've got um then we've just got to pay for the clearances to FIFA. Now, How, what do you reckon FIFA pay? No, you've charge? told me, Limo. I can't even I for can't even imagine. Of Mate, World I looked Cup. I looked into a, doing an Olympics. Oh, they, podcast. They're, no, they're really good at the IOC. They're really um, benevolent. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they no, no, yeah. They love giving shit away. Yeah. Uh, and it just knocked the whole project on the head. Yeah. I can't even I can't even 10,000 20 no. uh, fucking 100,000 dollars probably. No, it's 326 dollars US a second. $326 a second, yeah. Like, man. US a second, so. Just, just get two seconds, use yeah. it as a gif. Just like, <laughs> he played at the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the star. He scored the second goal in the 54 final. <laughs> you know, it's a shame you can't just do reenactments because the perfect actor would have been Lucky Grills. Uh, barge ass. Yeah, yeah. You told me that you'd cast Franco Cozzo in the biopic. I would, yes. Because when he taught, when Ferenc Puskas, he learns English for the last few years, but he just sounds like Franco Cozzo. Yeah, right. Uh, the, the picture I'm looking at of him right now, he actually looks a little bit like Ange Postacoglu. <laughs> well, <laughs> guess, oh, when he's young, he looks he's very handsome. Yeah. He's a bit like uh, if you mash all the bonds together mm. and make them quite short. He's got a little... He's, little like, he's like Sean Connery meets Super Mario. He's got a little Bond vibe about he's him. He scored four goals in a Champions League final. Uh, for Madrid. Yeah, for yeah. Real Madrid. Good player. <laughs> Turns out he goes all right. <laughs> um, so the Galaz is on Stan. Yeah, documentary and on Doc Play. And on... Doc Play. And on Doc Play. <laughs> yeah. All right. And... Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll fax that through. <laughs> the, uh, 1989, fantastic book about the 1989 grand final. What an incredible uh, game of football that was. When is the jeans biography going to be available uh, well, for I'm people? Due for, I'm about to, I've got to make a tough call to the publisher. I think I need another year. <laughs> okay, oh, wow. right, okay. Been hard to interview people this year. Yeah, well, yeah. it's not yeah. the hasn't been the perfect year for it. Um, and we'll keep an eye out for the uh, Ferenc Pushka. Yeah, that'll come as ne- well. early next year. I reckon it'll be out by April. Sweet, mm. it's so exciting. Uh, the hungry Australian. What about them? Yeah, I like. Can, it. can I mention again my Speakola podcast? Is that yeah, okay? please. Oh yeah, and because you've got uh, like heaps of like. Uh, uh, like Brownlow acceptance speeches and uh, yeah. and, and and three Do quarter time. I've got um I've got Malcolm Blight. I've got just ridiculous speeches up there from footy. You know Malcolm yeah. Blight with toss bag. You remember that one? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toss bags up there I from Malcolm Blight. Couldn't give a rat's toss bag. I've got oh. uh, I'll spew up from Terry Wallace. Yes. My have favorite. you got Have you got Kim Hodgman's acceptance speech for the McGarry Medal in 1978? Good. Kim Hodgman was the first person to ever say, and people have said it since as kind of a, a claiming it as their own joke, but Kim Hodgman genuinely said 
as a very nervous young man receiving his McGarry medal in 1978, I'd like to thank my parents and my mum and dad. <laughs> 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 so he, he, was the, he was the original to say. Well, if I can find the footage, yes. Up it goes. Hey, you should you should be able to. No, I'm, so I'm pretty sure Kim Hodgman was 1978 McGarry. I'm trying to find the, the audio. If anyone's got Rick Davies' Hall of Fame speech, that's good, disappeared off YouTube. So when he went into the uh, Australian Football Hall of Fame, Rick Davies tore it up. Very funny, man. All right. And, yeah. and can't the, uh, find it. The Jumbo Prince never quite flew at the Hawks, no, did he, unfortunately? He came at about my weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the best people don't fly at the Hawks. Uh, Thank you, yes. And, <laughs> yeah. And Tony, very quickly, greatest speech of all time? Uh, I'll go with Robert Kennedy's uh, spontaneous eulogy on the back of a flatbed truck after the death of Martin Luther King. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. I'll look that Good, up. Good, strong nomination. I'm going to have to look that up now. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I do have a book here somewhere of the greatest, greatest speeches, speeches of all time. Yeah, yeah I've used, probably been I'm through it and tried to put them on the site. Um, it's, yeah, that's a very good one. Greatest sporting speech of all time. Mm. I'll go with... Uh, I'll go with Muhammad Ali because I'm looking at Limo's memorabilia shots around the room. Muhammad yeah. Ali's speech at the Waldorf Astoria, which is really a news conference, but when he goes on about the I'm so bad I make medicine sick. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh good just, yeah. just the just incredible. Then then I'll then they'll see how great I am. I just love the emotion in that. It makes me cry. And there's um there's two two uh, extras about Muhammad Ali. When he was Cassius Clay, he recorded a CD. Or recorded all this music, recorded a CD, recorded all this music. <laughs> Put it on his iPod. And he was he, <laughs> he was, was called MC Anachronism. <laughs> he was yeah yeah. He wasn't um he wasn't world champion. He was about to fight Liston, but he's in uh, this club where everyone's dressed in black tie, and it's essentially you could argue it's a very early form of rap. Or hip-hop. So he's got a band playing behind him like a jazz band and he does his I Am The Greatest and he does all these songs. Uh, and it's just incredible. That is – that sounds amazing. Hey, can with, I do one the, other sports plug? And the other one is him being interviewed on Irish television. Yeah. And he talks about the Attica prison Oh, riot. I've seen that one. That's it's just amazing. And he d- does that poem. Yeah. All it's of these are on Speakola. The, that one was nice, but the, there's a it few Muhammad Ali's up. Um, but I was going to mention I Am – the, uh, I'm one of the people that is in the Hawks for Change group. So yes. there might be I've been some. waiting for your club to change for years. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to change back to winning all the time no, again. No, no, mm. wrong. Yeah. I think you're finally mm. getting it right. I, I just don't <laughs> like this dynamic where you look at us and go, and it's clear that he's no. got a good season coming next year, Limo, and we're going to be. There's a real kicking there's, around the bottom six, and what, he's just got that strut we should have. What makes me laugh, Tony, is that we get mocked for being up ourselves, and Danny runs with a narrative of the working class Bulldogs fan. There couldn't be a group of fans more up themselves at the moment <laughs> than the Bulldogs. I mean, the Melbourne fans are very happy with themselves, but they haven't changed. I've got to be fair. <laughs> Richmond fans never changed. Oh, they, to me, were always the same. They became a bit annoying, but they were always the same to me. Melbourne fans, always the same. Look, isn't the it bull- annoying? The Bulldogs have all of a sudden got this weird strut. It's like a Pekingese has turned into oh, a yeah. German this, shepherd. This is, you know? this is like just when the aristocracy gets, you know, when the butler gives some sass. <laughs> Well, we need to stop this, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Danny will be 
be here next year with his Cody Waitman die job. Uh, you know, you need hair for um, that. <laughs> Hawks for Change website, Tony. So that is hawksforchange.org. And there is at hawksforchange.org forward slash rally. That is where you go to come to our rally next uh, Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, which will be, of course, be taking place on Zoom. That will be on Zoom. So uh, we'll hear from one of the candidates in the board election, which is, it, is, is Andy it on Gowers. Zoom? Is it on Zoom because it'll just look the same as an anti-vax rally? It's the same people. Just <laughs> <laughs> is it on top of the Westgate? <laughs> Why would you say that? No, there's a de- the after there's party. There's no that- high visit Hawthorne. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's no high visit <laughs> where the aristocracy club there's a dance there's a dance party on the Westgate once it's all finished um, alright we, we will wrap it up there Tony Wilson thank, thank you very you, much Lima. much appreciated Danny McGinley thank you go hell us and go Hawks <laughs>